Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information is provided as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Oliver's Insights Podcast, where we're going to do two things, proving that I can chew gum and walk at the same time, although it won't be simultaneous. First one is have a look at the Reserve Bank's latest decision on interest rates and also look at what I've called seven key things, or if you've got the written version, seven key charts for investors to keep an eye on in assessing the investment outlook. Firstly, turning to the Reserve Bank, obviously they raised interest rates again at their meeting in September and they raised the official cash rate by 0.5%, taking it to 2.35%. No great surprises there. It was the fifth hike in a row and the fourth 0.5% hike and brings the total increase to 2.25% out of interest. This is the fastest rate of increase in the cash rate since 1994. So quite an aggressive tightening cycle by the Reserve Bank reflecting the inflation threat and of course the low starting point for interest rates. Now, of course, in raising interest rates, the Reserve Bank reiterated their concerns about inflation, noting also the strong demand and tight labour market in the economy and, of course, uh, ongoing pressure on wages. And they also noted that it's very important that inflation expectations remain well anchored, as we saw in the 1970s and 80s. If you don't keep everybody's expectations for inflation down, then they will start to behave as if inflation at higher levels is normal and that will help entrench it. So, of course, that is partly what the Reserve Bank has been aiming to do, which I wholeheartedly support. I do have some concerns, though, that the Reserve Bank may be getting a little bit too aggressive here. We know that the relationship between changes in monetary policy and their impact on the economy operate with what Milton Friedman once called long and variable lags. If you raise interest rates, it takes a while for the Reserve Bank or the bank, your bank, to pass that on to you. They will notify you that your rate is going up and then it'll take a while longer for your rate actually to go up and those increased payments to start flowing through. And then, of course, you might initially regard it as a bit of a temporary thing, but eventually it will affect your spending behaviour and that will have an impact on the broader economy. But all of that operates with a lag. And we saw in the late 1980s, 1989-1990, how this can impact things. The Reserve Bank kept snugging rates higher, as they would tell us back then, and things look very strong. In fact, Paul Keating at one stage used an explanation along the lines of champagne bubbling over the champagne glass. And then, of course, it got to a point in early 1990 where it was quite clear the economy was slowing dramatically and the Reserve Bank had to change course. But of course, in the process, rates had gone very high. And of course, we are at a similar risk this time around. Now, of course, today, debt levels are much higher than they are back then. So you don't need to raise interest rates as much as you did back then because of the sheer impact of rising interest rates on much more indebted households. So that's going to act as a big dampener. And I think there is a strong case for the Reserve Bank after five hikes in a row, four very strong hikes, to sit back and either slow the pace of hikes or pause and see their impact. Now, of course, the way things are going, it does look as if our forecast for the peak in the cash rate of 2.6% was too conservative and we will go beyond that. So we have revised that up to 2.85% and I'd have to say the risk is still on the upside. But I don't see the Reserve Bank needing to raise the cash rate to the 4% level that the money market is talking about. 
I think there is enough evidence that forward-looking indicators such as consumer confidence and housing-related indicators are slowing down and that will slow demand in the economy, ultimately leading to lower inflation. So bottom line is, I think there is a case for the Reserve Bank to slow the pace of hikes, and we do expect some slowing to occur in the months ahead. Now, of course, if you read the Reserve Bank statement, they're still talking about further increases in interest rates, which we also expect will probably occur. But there's also some lines in there, some of which when they're back in August. For example, they want to keep the economy on an even keel, even though they aim to get inflation back down, that they're not on a preset path in raising interest rates. And now they're saying that uh, the full effects of higher interest rates are yet to be felt in mortgage payments. So these things, along with their references to consumer confidence falling and house prices falling, suggest they are well aware of the negative impact they are having and that hopefully will see them slow the pace of rate hikes in the months ahead. So enough on the Reserve Bank and moving on to seven key things for investors to keep an eye on in assessing the investment outlook. Now, we have seen a good rally in shares from their June lows to their recent highs. In fact, to those June lows from their highs last year, early this year, global shares fell more than 20%, Australian shares fell 16%, and they recovered about half of that loss going into their mid-August highs. And that rally was on the back of hopes that central banks would slow down the pace of tightening or undertake some sort of dovish pivot, particularly the Fed, and also good earnings reports, not just in the US and globally, but also in Australia as we went through August. Then, of course, we saw the US share market get overboard. It hit resistance at its 200-day moving average, and I'm looking here at the S&P 500. Shares then became vulnerable to ongoing central bank hawkishness and recession risks, and, of course, we've got geopolitical tensions. And, of course, we're in August, September, October, October, that run of months is historically poor for share markets. So all of those things, I think, leave the market vulnerable to more weakness in the downside. Now, if you take a 12-month view, we're reasonably upbeat that the combination of global growth probably continuing, it's going to slow down, but hopefully not going into recession, and better valuations in markets, and then eventually a pivot by central banks towards easy policy will enable share markets to rally in a 12-month view. I guess this brings us to the seven key things to watch, or the seven key charts, if you want to put it that way. And there are seven of them. And the first one is Global Business Conditions, PMIs, or Surveys of Businesses, and we call them PMIs because they're surveys of purchasing managers in companies. And recently, those indicators on a global basis have fallen from a high of around 58, the way they measure it, down to around 51, 52. In the US, in fact, it's even below 50. And I think the key thing is here that that is telling us that global growth is slowing. It's nowhere near the lows we saw back at the time of the pandemic lockdowns in 2020, when those indicators fell to only just above 30. But I think to be consistent with our broad view, things will improve on a 12-month horizon, those indicators need to stabilise around 45 to 50, as opposed to falling below that. Second indicator to keep an eye on is global inflation, particularly US inflation, because the US has led this cycle. And on that front, we're particularly focused on an inflation indicator we put together, which looks at a whole bunch of upstream price indicators, business surveys regarding prices and costs, delivery lags and so on, semiconductor prices, freight rates and so on. U.S. inflation looks to have peaked. I think it peaked around 9.1% as it started to slow down. The underlying or core measures have also rolled over, and that indicator I referred to has been in decline for some time. The key is that indicator continues to decline, and I think ultimately on a six-month horizon that will take pressure off the Fed, 
And given that the US is leading Australia and Europe by about six months, it will start to take pressure off Europe and Australia eventually as well. Although, of course, Europe has a fair way to go given its energy concerns. So that would be something I would be watching very, very closely and will continue to do so because I think what central banks do in this environment is critically important. We know the Reserve Bank, we know the Fed, the ECB, they're all pretty hawkish. But at some point, as inflation indicators continue to head down, as supply situations improve, then that will start to see their hawkishness abate. And that ultimately would be good for share markets. Unemployment and underemployment are the third indicator I would nominate. And we know that jobs markets are very tight. That is leading to wages presses, particularly in the US, but also starting to become apparent in Australia. We really need to see unemployment stop falling. I know we'd love to see it get to zero, but I think that's not realistic. I think the key here is for unemployment and underemployment to start stabilising. In other words, become not too hot, but not too cold. That may be starting to become apparent in the US, but it's early days yet. Longer term inflation expectations are the fourth indicator I would keep a close eye on. We all know that expectations for inflation in the next one or two years are very high for obvious reasons. But if you look at a five year horizon or more in the US, there's a good survey from the University of Michigan, goes back to the early 1980s, and it shares that inflation expectations on the part of US consumers for the next five years or more are around 3%. That's pretty much where they've been for the last decade or two. And if it stays around that level, it's actually a very good sign. So I think that's critically important that longer term inflation expectations remain benign, because if that's the case, the job of central banks will be a lot easier than it was in the early 1980s when inflation expectations for the long term in the US had risen to 10%. Earnings revisions. This is the next key indicator. In recent times, we've seen some pretty good earnings results. In Australia, for the last financial year, company profits rose around 22% or almost 22%. Very good numbers out of the US recently as well. The key is that we are going to see a slowdown in earnings profit growth, but we don't want to see it go aggressively negative. So earnings will probably get revised down as growth slows. And we're already starting to see some of that, but we don't want to see it become as negative as was the case in the early 90s in the early 2000s, and also, of course, at the time of the GFC. So that's the fifth indicator to keep an eye on. The sixth one is the gap between the earnings yield and bond yields. Now, some people would recognize this as a proxy for the risk premium that shares offer over bonds. Recently, that gap has narrowed as bond yields have increased and earnings yields have come down a bit. Not much, because PEs have actually improved or fallen. Um, the main change has been in terms of bond yields. Now, the key going forward is that this indicator right now is suggesting that the gap or the risk premium offered by shares is still relatively attractive, particularly compared to where it was prior to the GFC, but it has deteriorated, particularly in the US recently. And I think the key here is to watch the underlying bond yields, which of course are a key part of that equation, and also earnings revisions, that they don't deteriorate too badly. And finally, the US dollar. Very, very important. Some people might see this one as a bit obscure, but historically, the US dollar is a counter-cyclical currency, which is why big moves in it are often seen as significant. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that, but the main one is that the US economy doesn't have a big exposure to cyclical sectors like manufacturing, unlike, say, Europe and Japan. So consequently, when the global economy turns down, and that's particularly notable in manufacturing, the US economy tends to be protected to some degree, and that helps the US dollar. Now, of course, that is one factor, but it tends to be the case whenever there's uncertainty, therefore the US dollar goes up. It's also seen as a reserve currency. A lot of borrowing is in US dollars. And when borrowing slows down, then of course that also boosts the demand for the US dollar. So over the last year or so, we've seen a very strong surge in the value of the US dollar, 
as safe haven demand kicked in and we saw those rate hikes kick off in the US. So the key going forward is that if you want to believe in a stronger environment for the global economy, you'd want to see the US dollar show signs of topping out and starting to roll over. And of course, the inverse of that would be the Australian dollar, which we would expect to start rising. So if things do start to brighten a little bit, confirmation of that, I think, would come from a deterioration in the US dollar and a rise in the value of the Aussie dollar. So I might leave it there just to summarize those seven key things to keep an eye on are global business conditions, surveys or confidence, global, particularly US inflation and our pipeline inflation indicator, unemployment and underemployment, very, very important. You don't want that remaining tighter and tighter because that will generate ongoing demand and inflationary pressures, but we don't want obviously a sharp rise in the unemployment rate either. Longer term inflation expectations, critically important that it stays low. Earnings revisions, yes, we're gonna see some downgrades in earnings, but we don't want that to become a crash. Obviously that would suggest much weaker share markets ahead and the gap between the bond yield and the earnings yields, and finally the US dollar. So I might leave it there. I hope that's been of some value. Until we meet again, adios, take care. Now to stay up to date from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. That way, you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon, but before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider taking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.